0: amen have you ever thought about uh, some of the major what-ifs like throughout history and even maybe throughout your own life right like those what-if questions like if something if they, what if this happened or what if this didn't happen then how would the rest of my life or the rest of history be changed forever right like for instance like what if america would have lost the american revolution right and we weren't undefeated anymore in world wars uh or in any war um and that means we'd all be drinking tea that wasn't sweet which is yuck right, and uh, be eating biscuits that aren't covered in butter and cheese, which is double yuck, uh, and so it'd be a lot different, our lives would be a lot different, or what if, right, uh, what if um, Archduke Franz Ferdinand was never assassinated in, in 1914, and World War I would have never have been sparked, and that means Hitler would have never been elected ahead of Germany, and then World War II would have never happened, and millions and millions of lives would have been saved, or what if you'd have paid attention in history in high school and knew who I was talking about, uh, right, or uh, maybe there's more personal, you know, what ifs, or, like, what if, you know, skinny jeans were never invented, then, like, what would worship pastors wear, you know, like, um, but Rich, Rich is not too bad, Rich doesn't wear skinny jeans, thankfully, praise the Lord, um, maybe you could like, personalize the, those what if questions a little more, like, for me, you know, like, what if I wouldn't have uh, drunk as much Mountain Dew as a baby, right, and uh, my mouth wouldn't have more feelings than, like, a Jackson Street, right, like, Haley can attest to that right, dental hygienist, Um, or, you know, like, what if I would have shared that one Facebook post that said I would have, good luck for a year, right, and I wouldn't have got that food poisoning from that Chinese buffet, probably would have happened anyway, Um, you know, those Facebook posts that are horrible, you better share, Um, but these what-if moments, like, what if something would have been different, how else would our life look different, we all have these, we've all thought about these in our own lives at some point or another, and, but there's one what-if question that absolutely terrifies me as a believer, as a follower of Christ. And that's one day that I know that we, I will stand before God, right? We'll stand before the creator of the universe, the great Almighty. And, and, and before him, I will see uh, my sin. I will see how imperfect I am and in that moment. I will, I will see back my life and, and ask myself, I'm terrified to ask myself in that moment, like, what if I would have lived more for Jesus? Like, what if I would have lived my life a little bit differently and did more for God instead of living for myself? Like, that question terrifies me, and, and, and that should fuel my life. It should fuel the way that I live and respond and act in my, my daily life. Um, and today, we'll be in the book of Judges, chapter 14, if you want to go ahead and turn there. But we come face to face with a a tragic story of what if, and that's in the life of Samson, right? The great and mighty Samson, the warrior of God, the the judge that God raised up, one of the judges over Israel. But what we see when we read the story of of Samson is not a beautiful testament of, of God working through Samson, but it's really a tragic story of what if. Because what we'll see throughout this story and throughout the life of Samson is this kind of two reoccurring themes. And that's Samson's sin, Samson's continued disobedience of God, and then God's grace through Samson despite his sin. So we'll see that. And we're left with the question, like, what if Samson would have just, like, just gave up a little bit more of his desires, a little bit more of the things that he wanted in life, and have lived for God's purposes? Like, what amazing things could he have done For God, And when we ask this question, it brings us face-to-face with the same question in our own lives. How would our lives look differently if we fully put aside our selfish ambitions, our selfish desires, our sinful desires, and live fully for the cause of Christ and for his glory alone? So Samson was born uh, to parents who could not have children. Then the angel of the Lord came to them, and we see this in in Judges uh, 13, and came to them and and told him that you're going to give birth to a son. And he shall take the Nazarite vow. If you're unfamiliar with the Nazarite vow, it's the same vow that John the Baptist had. So it's a vow, it's a, it's a covenant with God, a promise with God that this child, his whole life will not, uh, three things, will not touch a dead carcass, a corpse, will not um, partake in the fruit of the vine. So no wine, no grape juice, sorry, no communion for Samson. Um, and no razor will, shall touch his head. So it can never, ever cut his hair. If he's lucky, he would be like Rich and not have to ever worry about that, right? i just kidding, killing Rich this morning. I don't know why. Sorry, Rich. But, so that's the third part. No razor shall touch his head. And so that's the Nazarite vow. So Samson was to take this Nazarite vow, this covenant that before the angel of the Lord and his parents made with God that Samson was to obey. And so that's all we know about Samson's kind of childhood. Then when we come to chapter 14, we see Samson as an adult. It's kind of our first story of Samson. So we'll pick up here in Um, chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. So instantly, our first image into the life of Samson is not this awesome judge ruling over Israel, redeeming God's people, bringing them to safety, out of captivity, defeating the Philistines. Instead, we see a picture of Samson falling in love with the Philistines. We see a picture of Samson not acting like a great and mighty judge, but acting like an entitled child, right, who says... I see this woman, I want her, give her to me. And he completely starts to fall into sin in his life because this woman is not not lawful. It's not under God's law for him to marry because in Deuteronomy chapter 7, God commanded his people to not intermarry with the foreign nations as they entered into the promised land. The reason for that was because God knew his people and knew that as they went into the land of Canaan, into the land of... Um, that God was providing for them, that there was all these different people, and they worshipped all these different gods, and if his people went in and started marrying these women and men, then they were going to be interfused, and and Yahweh was just going to become another god on the shelf with all these other gods, with all these false gods, and God knew that. So he forbid them to even think about intermarrying with these people. And yet Samson, supposed to be judging over Israel, sees this Philistine woman and falls in love with her and says, I want her. I don't care what God says. I don't care what God's word says. I want her so we see a sin right off the bat not only that but he disobeys his parents because his parents are are trying to speak truth into his life his parents tell him remember god's promises remember like is there not a woman like in all of our family our clan or people to like that you could marry you got to marry a philistine samson he's like nope i want her right i saw her give me her so samson immediately just caught in this trap of we see immediately just him just putting god's will for his life, putting God's promises on his life and what God desires, setting it aside and saying, you know what? This is what's going to make me happy. This is what's going to bring me joy. This is what's going to bring me, you know, fulfillment. And I'm going to run after that instead of what God says. So instantly we're face to face with this tragic story of Samson not falling after God's will for his life, but falling after his own will and his own desires and things that he wants. And Samson goes on to uh, go down to Timnah and and with his parents to meet this, this woman and on the way, he's not with his parents at the moment. Somehow, I don't know they got lost. But he's alone on the path, and all of a sudden, a lion comes out of nowhere and attacks, or tries to attack Samson. And so, Samson literally, it says, rips the lion apart. And so, it's kind of our first, um, our, our first face to face with Samson's strength and his might that he literally was able to rip a lion apart. Like that's how strong this dude was. That's how like crazy strong. He was able to rip a lion apart and the bible even says like a young goat so he ripped it like it was a rag doll pretty much uh and then he goes down to timnah and they they have this you know party and they meet the this philistine woman and and sometime later he's coming back by and along the way he sees that lion that he killed and guess what samson has this crazy idea to do he sees honey in the lion right? There's bees that have come into the carcass, and there's a honeycomb, and Samson thinks it's a bright idea to scoop down and get some honey out of this dead lion. Like, that is not appetizing at all to me. I love honey, but not out of a dead carcass, right? And, but think about Samson and his vow to God. He was a Nazarite. He was never supposed to touch a dead corpse, or a corpse. I I think all corpses are dead, right? Uh, But he was never supposed to touch a dead body, and yet here he is going after his own gratification, his own satisfaction, and wanting the honey. And he scoops it out, completely disregarding his commandments from God, his commitment to God, and disregarding that for his own purposes, for his own desires. So he breaks one-third of his Nazarite vow just like that. Not only that, but he goes down to Timnah, and he's parting with these Philistines. And once again, these are the people he was supposed to be killing on behalf of God and his people. Instead, he is parting with them, wanting to marry them. And literally, it says they had a wedding feast. and In the Hebrew, the, the feast word there is uh, literally means like drinking party. So we don't know for sure if Samson would have partake, partuken, partook in, uh, in, the, uh, in the party. But why would you surround yourself with all that when you have taken the Nazarite vow to never even touch the fruit of the vine, never even place that? So obviously, we see is a picture of Samson not taking God's commandments very seriously. Not taking his commitment to God very seriously. It's just another thing on a shelf. It's just another, like... Sure, I got the long hair, I got the strength from it, but I'm going to do whatever I want to. Who cares what God says? And so literally, they're over here having a toga party, right? Just getting crazy, and he's trying to marry the enemy, and, uh, and he's breaking his Nazarite vow that he made to God. So God could have easily cast him off. God could have easily said, you know what? You're supposed to be my judge. You're supposed to be ruling and reigning over my people and helping them know me. Instead, you're falling in love with the enemy. I'm done with you. Yet, despite Samson's sin... In the story, we see a picture of God's grace to choose any way to use Samson for his purposes. Maybe not the way that we would imagine, or Samson would imagine, but God still does. Because verse 4, remember, it says that his parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. This this isn't saying that God was, this is God's will that that Samson would go off and sin and do all these stupid things. and It wasn't God's will, but in God's goodness, in his almighty power, he can turn this tragic, the he can turn the stupidity of Samson into something good for his glory, for his kingdom, because that's what God does. That's what he's in the business of each and every day. And so he's going to work this for his purposes, somehow, in some way. And so we see that through Samson continuing on. He goes down to Timnah even more. They're celebrating party, and then he comes up with this fun idea of, of a riddle, right? We all love riddles, and he makes up a riddle about the lion, about the carcass, about the, um, the honey, and he gives these Philistine men... This riddle, and he wagers them. He says, you know, if you can't figure this out, then you owe me 30 linens of garment, 30 um, articles of clothing, and so if you can't figure out this riddle, but of course they're not going to figure it out, because it's like his own personal, like, story that he did, and and so no one's going to know about that lion, um, and all this, so like it was failed from the get-go, but so Samson's off, instead of living for God, instead of ruling over Israel, he is off partying, touching dead lions, you know, wagering, gambling, right? Just having a good old time on the Mississippi River, right? And uh, so here he is, and not living the way that he's supposed to be living. And then we see it backfire in the face of Samson. And so what happens in verse seventeen? We'll pick up and read there. So they, because backstory here, what they did was the Philistine men. They couldn't figure it out, and they weren't about to lose this this bet with Samson. And so what any logical person would do, they went to the woman his about to be wife and threatened to kill her and her family if they didn't tell her the answer, right? Logical. Easy. Uh, So that's where we pick up here in verse 17. She cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him. She in turn explained the riddle to her people. Before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, "'What is sweeter than honey?' What is stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. This is a funny verse. Um, But it's not as crass as it sounds. Uh, I'll give this to Samson because in my my research of this text, a lot of scholars say that, you know, heifers are not used to plow fields. You know, oxen was. And so basically what Samson's saying here is that you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing. Like, you're kind of breaking the rules. you're not, so it it sounds a lot crasser than it is, plowing my heifer. Um, So it goes on in verse 19. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down thirty of their men, stripped them of their belongings, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he went up to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to the friend who had attended him at his wedding. So Samson's Evil desires, Samson's selfish ways that he thought was going to bring him satisfaction, him glory, apart from God, is backfired in his face. Surely that's never happened to us, right? It's never happened to you. But isn't that what sin does? Isn't that what our, our selfish desires do? Every time is they betray us. Each and every time, right? Sin over-promises and underdelivers each and every time. On the surface, it says, this will make you happy. This will make you a better person. This will bring you fulfillment. This is what you want. But in the end, it leaves us feeling shameful, leaves us feeling guilty, it leaves us feeling distant from God. This is all different types of things. But sin always, our sinful desires always betrays us. And it did, it happened to Samson right here. His evil pursuits left him angry and betrayed and pouting at his father's house. Right? Instead, once again of ruling over Israel, he is at his father's house pouting because he didn't get his wife and he got betrayed and all blah, blah 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 blah. And he's playing the victim. And his sinful desires betrayed him and left him just empty, which happens every single time. So then what Samson does is he comes back to time later and now is ready for his wife. He wants his wife. He's, he's over his pity party. And, of course, they gave his wife away to the dude at the wedding, the best man. And, of course, this fuels even more rage out of Samson. And Samson pretty much um, goes, and, and he, he, crazy story of he finds these 300 foxes. I don't know how he did that. Um, So he found 300 foxes, and he ties them in pairs by their tails and puts a torch in between each tail and sends them out throughout the fields of the Philistines. And, of course, it burns down all the crops of the Philistines. And, And so this crazy story happens to show this, you know, odd way of God is still accomplishing his purposes through Samson, despite his sin. Right, That if Samson is not going to step up and be the man that he's supposed to do, God will work around him. He may be angry, he may be upset, he may be empty, but God's still going to fulfill his purposes one way or another. So the purpose is to defend Israel against the Philistines. So in his anger, he killed 30 of the Philistines to take their clothes. In his anger, he burned up all the crops of the Philistines. It's sad, it's tragic that God had to get to that point to get Samson to do what he was supposed to be doing in the first place. Serving God, accomplishing his calling and his purpose, and God's grace was still on Samson throughout despite his sin. he was still using Samson, and so it continues on in chapter 15 to summarize it really quick as Samson then they, well the, after he burns the crops, uh, they retaliate by killing his wife and their family, right okay logical, and then Samson gets mad, and so then Samson just kills a bunch of the Philistines. like this is literally some days of our life stuff, right like even tragic more tragic like it's crazy what's going on here in this story and then samson kills many of them and then he flees we find him in chapter 15 literally hiding in a cave in judah the great man of god the great judge the great strong warrior samson is hiding in a cave instead of defending god's people and then the men of the, of judah come to him because the philistines are after him they're looking for him and three thousand men of judah come to samson says dude They're looking for you, like, we're not about to die because of your stupidity, right? Like, you need to come on out, like, give yourself over. So they tie up Samson, he lets them tie him up, and he's delivered into the hands of the Philistines. But then, of course, because Samson's so strong, um, he breaks the ropes. He breaks the ropes in the midst of the Philistines and takes a jawbone of a donkey and kills a thousand men. Just another day another dollar right just happening and so he kills a thousand philistines with this jawbone of a donkey and then the scripture says he reigned over israel he judged over israel for 20 years end of the story off in the sunset right samson is finally doing what god called him to do but wait there's more there's more right like the infomercials there's more four easy payments 1999 but there's more in chapter 16 Instead of learning from his issues, learning from his disobedience to God, and God still working through him anyway and still bringing him back to his purposes, Samson ends up right back where he was in the first place. Happens to us all the time. We say, God, please forgive us. I won't ever do it again, right? Please forgive me. I know that. And then right back in the same mess. Right back in the same mess. Time and time again. In chapter 16, we find Samson in verse 4. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Surak, whose name was Delilah, another Philistine. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So right back where he was in the first place, Samson's right back there again, disobeying God, falling in love with the enemy. He sees Delilah. He's like, I need that Philistine. I don't care what what God says. I'm going after her. And he falls in love, and instantly we see this story, this backstory of the Philistines are tired of Samson just destroying their dues, right, with a jawbone of a donkey. That doesn't look very good for your people. And so they're like, we got to figure out where his strength comes from. And so they see his weakness. His weakness is women. His weakness is the lust of his eyes. And so they see his weakness, and so they go to Delilah, and they offer her this money if she'll find out what's his deal, where's his strength come from. And we obviously know it's the last part of his Nazarite vow that he hasn't broken, that's his hair, not cutting his hair. So it's this relationship, his covenant relationship with God of his Nazarite vow is now put up to test, put up to trial. What is Samson going to do? Is he finally going to learn and finally be obedient to God and God's calling on his life and his commitment to God? Let's see. Verse 15 of chapter 16. Then she said to him, this is after some time of Delilah coming to Samson and saying, oh, Samson, please tell me your strength. You know, like, yonder as the window breaks. That's how it goes? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but so he, he comes up with three different lies of where his strength comes from. And every time he, she, like, tries to catch him in a trap, and then it doesn't happen. And Samson is still, he's just playing games, right? This, this commitment that he has to the God, this, where, this serious, where God has given him his strength because of his commitment to him. And, and Samson's just playing with it. He's not taking it seriously at all. And finally, in verse 16, and 15, sorry, she, she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Samson finally like, all right, I'd rather really die in order to sit here and have you nag me continually time and time again. I'm just going to tell you where my strength comes from. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said. Because I've been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. Can I just say I'm actually surprised that Samson actually acknowledges this? So he does know that this is a co- commitment he's made to God. He's not just dumb and ignorant of his calling. So it's good to see that Samson actually does know that he's just willfully disobeying God. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaped. So once again Samson's infatuation, Samson's desires for himself and his own satisfaction has led to his betrayal, has defeated him. Once once again. So Samson's strength, see, was not in his in his hair, as like, I thought for the longest time, I was like, oh, it's just like, you know, not explicitly, but it's like, it's his hair. So when his hair was, was gone, his strength was gone. But it wasn't like some magical spell that was like on his hair. As long as he had hair, he had strength. But his strength, Samson's strength came from his obedience to God. That was the sole source of Samson's strength was his, in his obedience. And so when the hair was gone, so was his obedience. And so through him just playing with this covenant, playing with this Nazarite vow, and just allowing Delilah to... To take over, and his his passions and his his desires betrayed him because he was weak and he was living for himself and not for the name of God, and now he's left betrayed, and now he's left sadly. Says in verse twenty, without the Lord, he did not know he did not know the Lord had left him. Man, that's so sad. It's tragic. It's great, mighty man of God. He was supposed to be fighting the Philistines, supposed to be delivering God's people, bringing them into what God has promised them. And yet here he is, falling in love with the enemy. Here he is, chasing after what he wants instead of what the God Almighty of heaven wants. And he traded his calling and his commitment for his own desires. And it's now it's left him without the Lord, without his strength. And he's just stuck in his sin. And now it's without eyes. They gouged out his eyes. Now he's, he's grinding at the mill, and he's, he's captive to the Philistines. His strength is gone. Everything he has is gone. So now sin, his, his desires that, that promised him goodness, promised him satisfaction, promised him prosperity, promised him these things would make him feel good. Now, all that was gone, right? He's not feeling good now. He can't see anything. You love women? Well, guess what? You're never going to look at one again, right? Like, you, you loved your strength, you love showing off, well, you don't have your strength no more. Like, everything was taken from him because of his sin and because of his disobedience to God. Because Samson was on the throne, not God. And God was slowly putting Samson back in his place. And now, in God's grace, he wasn't done with Samson. He didn't, he could have, once again, he could have cast Samson off, but no. In the end of Samson's life, we see something good happen. We'll pick up in verse 25. While they were in high spirits, the Philistines, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of his prison. and He performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can fill the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. On the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. This is the first account of Samson even speaking to God that we have. O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached down the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might. And down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. It's tragedy. Sad. It didn't have to end this way. It shouldn't have ended this way. But Samson's sin brought him to this point. And yet God in his grace wasn't done with Samson. God in his grace was still going to work through Samson to accomplish the things that Samson was supposed to be doing the whole time. And that was defeat the Philistines. The Philistines. It's just sad that it took it to get to that point. For Samson to finally realize, my strength doesn't come from myself. But finally, Samson was forced to realize and acknowledge, God, my strength comes from you. In this moment, I need you to give me strength to do what you've called me to do, and that's to kill these Philistines, to defeat these people. So he finally did it. And we're left with this tragic story of the life of Samson that had some good times, but we're forced— with the question of what if with Samson, right? Like what if he would have just been a little bit more disciplined? What if he was just a little bit more just not self-righteous, not just full of himself and wanting his own glory, wanting his own fulfillment, wanting to feel good in things temporarily? What if Samson would have just gave up a little bit of his desires for the calling that God had on his life? Think about the victories he would have brought to the nation of Israel. Think about the victories he would have brought in the name of the Lord and how much he could have done for God. But he didn't. He allowed his desires to take hold. He was not obedient to God's plan for his life, God's purposes for his life. But thankfully for us, thankfully for the people of Israel, for all mankind, thankfully it does, our story doesn't rest on Samson and his failures. But thankfully our story continues on. And it's in when this man comes that will be obedient. Because his name is Jesus, and he's the son of God, and this man did everything that Samson couldn't. If you remember in uh, the wilderness, when Jesus went to the wilderness in Matthew 4, and and Satan himself was there tempting Jesus. So it's not like Jesus was never tempted to do evil. It's not like Jesus was ever tempted to live for himself. He, above all people, deserved to live for himself. But he didn't. He used the word of God, the truth that comes from God, to defeat the attacks of Satan. He didn't sin. And he continued on, right, and lived a perfect life. And there, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he knew what was on the horizon, he knew what was about to happen, the beatings he was about to be put under, the death that he was about to partake because, not of his sin, but the sins of all mankind. And he sat there in the garden, like sweating drops of blood, and yet, like, he sat there and prayed a real prayer, saying, God, I don't want to do this. Right, if there's any other way, God, like, please make it happen. But then he said, but not my will, but yours be done. Now imagine if Samson would have said that just one time. But he didn't. But Jesus did, thankfully. And he took the cross. And just as, as Samson in his, his last story, his last act, he, he reached out his, his arms and grabbed the pillars of that temple and brought down the whole temple full of the Philistines and, and killed 3,000 of them. Jesus did so much more by obediently, giving up his life, reaching his hand out on that cross, taking the nail and taking the nail on our behalf, right? It was for us, nothing he'd done. And then Paul wrote the, gave us this awesome poem in Philippians 2. It'll be on the screen of what we should do in light of who Jesus is and what he did. It says in verse 5, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, so God is calling us as his church today to follow an example of Jesus. Not Samson, but an example of Jesus. To have the same mindset, to live our lives in the same manner that Jesus did. Who knew his purpose, knew that God called him to live this life for him and to die for sinners like us so that we could be redeemed so that we could have a relationship with the father that we don't deserve and that was the whole purpose of Jesus coming even while he was up there on the cross being beaten being mocked he could have easily called angels to come and minister him to take him down and to do whatever but he didn't he was obedient even to the point of the cross to the point of death and yet so many times in our own life we allow small things that that whisper at us that they're going to bring satisfaction. They're going to, they're going to make us feel good. We, we follow after these things. We, we, we give in to the temptation of ourselves, of, of what Stevie wants, or and I put myself on the throne of my life, instead of putting God, the right, rightful one, on the throne of my life. And, and we pursue things such as wealth, or we pursue happiness, we pursue comfort, we pursue acceptance. In the pursuit of these things, we lose sight of our purpose. The sole reason God put us on the surface, the sole reason God saved us, be in a relationship with him and to join in his redeeming work and what he's doing on this planet and that's the cool thing because none of us deserve it right like none of us are worthy to be a part of what god's doing we're all just like samson are sinful we all just like samson are so bent after going our own way doing what we want to do just mocking god turning our face to god disobeying what we know he wants us to do for what makes us happy And yet, even through that sin, God still calls us and allows us to be a part of what he's doing. He's calling us this morning to to lay aside these things and to put him on the altar that he deserves, to put him on the throne of our lives that he deserves to be on. And what if Samson would have done that? How much differently would his life would have looked? But how much differently would our lives look if we did that day after day? Because it is a daily thing. And I think that's a common misconception in the church is that, yeah, this one time I, was, I, was, I walked the aisle, I was saved, I was baptized, and I became a Christian on this day, on this hour, and happily ever after. But you can be a Christian and wake up and put yourself on the throne. You can be a Christian and start living for yourself instead of Jesus. It's a misguided Christian. You're walking the wrong path. But you can call yourself a Christian nonetheless. But God is calling us each and every day as we wake up, To say, am I going to be king of my life today, or am I going to put Christ on his throne and be obedient to my calling? That means raising up kids, not just to have a shelter, a roof over their head, not to have food in their belly, but raising up kids to be warriors for Christ. That's going to attack the gates of hell for the name of Jesus. It's going to the gym or going to work, not with blinders on, not just wanting to get through the day, not wanting just to accomplish our task and forget everybody else around me, but realizing that there's people around me that need the hope of Jesus that need a smiling face, need somebody to say, hey, man, like, can I pray for you? Or, hey, man, like, I just want you to know I'm here for you. Or I noticed that, you know, this happened, and you, need to talk, you want to talk about that It's being intentional and, and not living lives with these blinders on, living for ourselves and, and what we want to do and what makes us happy, but it's asking God, how can I be a part of what you're doing today? Because I don't want to miss out on that. I don't want to miss out on what God's doing here in Jackson. I don't want to miss out on what God's doing around me. I want to be a part of that. He's calling us today to be a part of that redeeming work that he's doing. Because one day, we're all going to stand before him. And thankfully, with the blood of Jesus, we're covered. He looks at our sins no more. And he sees the blood of Christ has covered us. But I don't, on that day, want to look back and say, man, what if, right? Like, what if I could have done so much more for God? I could have done so much more for his name. I could have been a part of so much more amazing things that he was doing Instead, I was living for myself and just the things that made me happy. But I pray on that day all of us will be there standing and know that God will say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Let's pray. God, uh, thank you for just allowing us to, to be able to be a part of that, God, that not a single soul in this room, including myself, deserves to be a part of what you're doing. Here at Grace City, in Jackson, in this world, God, all of us are sinful. All of us are bent toward going after the things that make us happy, that make us feel good. But yet yeah, you're up to something. Yet yeah, you're, you're bringing this world back to how you created it. You, you've ushered in a, a new kingdom through your son, Jesus, God. And I pray that we realize that being a part of that is the most important thing that we can do this morning and tomorrow and the next day, the next day, God. I pray you help us have eyes to see the things that we're placing ahead of you. The, the journey that we're going on that's away from you, God, and you help us get back to walking with you. Surrender to you, God, this morning. There's forgiveness in your name. There's forgiveness at your feet. And I pray that for all of us that we would bring that to you this morning to know that there's a new day. you calling us despite our sins to follow you. Not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. And his obedience to you on our behalf, God. That we can walk in that. We can stand in that and walk in obedience this morning. It's in his name we pray this morning. Amen.